Hello, and welcome to Shoot the Shit, a podcast about buggy. The idea for this podcast came about like so many other great ideas in the history of Carnegie Mellon University. It was late one night at William Penn Tavern, and a group of us were sitting around talking about buggy and how many great characters and stories there were in the sport. And wouldn't it be great if we could record those stories and put them out and share them with the community? Well, this is an attempt to do just that. My name is Will Weiner, and I'm going to be your host. I've had the privilege of interviewing some of the biggest movers, shakers, and behind-the-scenes characters who have shaped Buggy into what it is today. So I ask that you sit back, relax, and enjoy as we shoot the shit. This week, we talk about the origin of the Buggy Alumni Association, or BAA, uh, how it started off as a prank to piss off PICA, and then evolved into the organization we know and love today that has done a lot for the Buggy community, uh, including making this podcast possible. Uh, We talk some history, uh, we talk some current stuff, some of the things that were planned for Buggy 100. Um, One editorial note. Uh, Due to some issues with the recording software, which we no longer use, uh, a majority of Ben Matsky's audio was lost, unfortunately. Um, I've done the best I can to edit the episode in a way still it still flows and follows. Uh, but who knows, maybe we'll follow up with a Ben-specific uh, addendum at, at another point. Anyways, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff here. So uh, let's go ahead and start to shoot the shit. Hello, uh, thanks everybody for joining here on this episode of Shoot the Shit. Uh, We have members of the Buggy Alumni Association, both current and past. Um, We're going to go get into the history um, and then, you know, talk a little bit about the trajectory of the the org and all that. So if you'd like to go ahead and introduce yourselves and then we can just jump right in. Hi, my name is Ben Matsky. I was the former president of the BA and have been helping out with a lot of the Centennial stuff this year. Hi, I'm Mike Darcy. I'm the current president of the BAA. I picked up uh, and Ben's term finished, and hopefully I'll be rounding out Buggy 100 and uh, at least the rest of this term. My name is Eitan Goldman, uh, one of the founding members of the BAA. I was CIA chair back in 98, and I don't remember what my position was in the BAA, but let's call it uh, secretary. I mean... Technically, I was the only person really doing anything for a brief period. So, yes, I was president. (laughs) (laughs) I think we almost went in reverse chronological order. Uh, I'm Sam Swift, and I was around at the beginning of the BAA in 2008. Uh, I was head mechanic for Fringe, and I think that head mechanic was actually the title that I preferred as uh, uh, my role in the BAA. Just felt like the the only title I'd ever really known in Buggy. I guess if we want to just kind of jump in, you know, talk a little bit about the genesis of the group um, and what kind of led to it, how it came together. Yeah, uh, I was uh, searching through my old email trying to make sure I remembered it correctly. Uh, I'd love to tell the story of sort of the accidental founding of the BAA, um, which really started as more of a uh, free rolls morning uh, frustration FU that turned into like a mutual love of the sport. So I think it's actually sort of a fun uh, unintentional founding story. The setting was I was a, a few years out of undergrad. Uh, I had come back uh, and started a PhD at Tepper. And so I was around and I lived in Greenfield nearby. And uh, I would just come walk the course uh, in the mornings, take pictures, kind of, you know, it was just a nice thing to do with the dog on a Saturday morning. Uh, and as everybody uh, in the buggy world over the last, you know, 20, 30 years is familiar. Uh, some organizations are a little sensitive about people taking pictures of their buggies. Uh, in particular, PICA has a, you know, for my whole time around the course, uh, taken a pretty strong stance on that. And so I was, I was taking pictures. I had like a, a new camera that I was pretty into just sort of as a hobby. Uh, and they sent a pledge uh, out to stand in front of me and tell me not to take pictures all morning. Uh, and this had always been, you know, sort of par for the course. Uh, but for whatever reason, it really kind of like, bugged me that day. And so I went home and I said, you know what? I'm, you know, I felt it also felt sort of different being out of college. You know, I got this 19 year old jumping around in my face and I'm, you know, I thought I was a a pretty esteemed member of the community at that point at a ripe age of 23 or something. Um, 
And uh, so I went home and I said, you know what? I'm going to do, I'm going to spend the rest of my Sunday here on a little bit of a prank. And so I collected all the pictures of pika buggies that I could find. Everything that I'd ever taken, I asked around a little bit, found uh, pictures, you know, that, that we'd collected in Fringe for over the years and things like that. And I made a website. And I put all the pictures that I could find up on a website, and I organized it really well by year, by buggy, um, put up a nice gallery. Once I got the website up, which was just sort of in that same evening, uh, I sent an email to the sweepstakes D-list or the, the chairman's D-list. Uh, and if you'll, this is March 2008, so before the BAA exists. And if you'll humor me, uh, I'll read that email. It's, it's pretty short. But it starts, uh, Dear Buggy Community, We've, realized, we've recently realized the error of our ways, and we'd like to apologize for our long-standing no-pictures policy. We realize now that it's pointless, unfriendly, and totally unjustified. While we can't take back the threats or profanity that we now regret, we can offer you this awesome new website as an olive branch and a way to demonstrate our change of heart, pikeabuggy.com. Please go and check out the 328 pictures currently collected on the site. But don't stop there. We want everyone to contribute any pictures they might have and to really build a community around the love of buggy photography. We really hope you like it, and we'll try our hardest not to be such dicks in the future. Sincerely, the now friendly folks at pikeabuggy.com. Was that the original URL, pikeabuggy.com? It was, yeah. So that was, <laughs> I mean, no one, no one was trying to start an alumni community at this moment. This was just me on a Sunday afternoon being annoyed and wanting to try to, you know, poke at them a little bit. The first round of reactions uh, was, uh, reply all from the PICA chair saying, among other things, uh, we do not appreciate being misrepresented and hope this doesn't happen again. To clarify, we do not allow and will never allow photography of our buggies, et cetera, et cetera. And then there was a, a real like internet snooping or you know detective <laughs> campaign where they, they found what server uh, I'd sent the email from, et cetera, et cetera. And it was pretty clear that it was me. Uh, and, you know, because I was sort of not in college anymore, it all just sort of seemed funny. And that part sort of blew past quickly. And then the most amazing thing happened. The gallery software that I had used, which was just sort of the free PHP gallery software that, I, that was popular at the time, had a comment functionality. And people started registering on the site. And this conversation just exploded out of nowhere. And it was actually largely PICA alums. And so, uh, and their reaction was, how kind of someone to collate all of these pictures of our old buggies and what a fun <laughs> way to collect and to see all this together. Uh, and it just, it sprung over the next, you know, that was in March. And so uh, by the time we got to race day, that comment section had become sort of like a live place, like a, a, it had become a forum for people, alumni all over the world to collect and discuss buggy. Uh, and by the next, uh, over the summer, and by the next fall, that's when the BA was founded. It, People came together and said, boy, this has really been fun talking to each other. Uh, maybe we could do this uh, on a website that's not called pikeabuggy.com. What should we call it? I think that was kind of the beginning. That's wild. I, hadn't, I really did not know that origin. Um, so Sam, right, you mentioned uh, that's cool. People get excited. They, they kind of want to talk about the buggies. Um, and it shifts into cmubuggy.org, Buggy Alumni Association. How did sort of that real vision come together? Did you start pulling people in? Because obviously now there's so much on that site. So what were kind of the next steps in that evolution? I'm, I'm still just going through emails, you know, piecing the history back together for myself uh, since this is now, you know, almost 12 years ago, 11 years ago. It really, I don't even think that I tried to lead it from there. It was really so organic. Uh, Andy Bordick, so Andy Bordick was, I would say, the most active representing the the Pika crowd on pikabuggy.com. He, he really loved it. And kind of, you know, being sort of a prominent alum from that program signaled that it was okay to have fun with this and accept it and, and show up and, and commune with the rest of the interested audience. And I think it really just started to be the people far flung all over who thought this was interesting realize that you're in your 20s or in your 30s and buggy was still one of your favorite things that you ever did. There's not that many people in the world to share that with anymore, right? You're not... You're not at work saying, you know, did you see, you know, who came out with a new buggy this fall? The only people that you can talk about that with uh, are the, you know, the other alumni you might run into uh, here on the internet. And so those, those walls between orgs start to sort of fade away a little bit. And so I don't, I don't think that I actually called sort of the let's, let's form a committee and let's talk about, you know, what to do next. But I remember we had an, an early meeting at Huff's where the folks that were in town came together 
Um, and there was conversations about, you know, do we want to form this officially through the school or do we want to keep this sort of a renegade operation? Um, it was really, it was unclear what we were trying to be or what our goals are uh, early on for sure. You know, eventually someone who is sort of uh, wise to the fact that the, the school is helpful in these regards and can, you know, sort of create structure and create purpose, recognize that alumni interest associations are a thing and that we're a perfect fit for that. And so we went and sort of registered with that. And then I really let sort of that Chris Stengel and, and Danny and uh, Aton, uh, Carson Klein, sort of take that and, and take on those roles of being, figuring out who the president should be and, and writing a charter and all of those things. Uh, and I got to work making a new website uh, that would be less of an afternoon project that we would call cmubuggy.org. Uh, and we actually got that launched by October. So it was actually still, you know, this was a side project. So from March to October, it took us to go from a prank to a, to a proper website. But it was announced uh, in an email that started, heypikeabuggy.com crowd. So that was still sort of the uh, organizing identity of the group. But it says, I wanted to make sure you all knew about the site that may sadly push pikeabuggy.com into obsolescence. It's called cmubuggy.org. Uh, it just went live this week. I, I was still just interested in sort of how do we make a website, you know, the gathering point for this group of people. Uh, and then the, the really the creation of an organization uh, was, was a pretty broad group of people that was really a committee. How did you see yourself in that initial involvement? Because obviously, right, a bunch of pictures is one thing, um, but kind of curious what the discussions were for stuff like the forum and the history and, you know, how was that ideation that kind of let it spiral and grow like it did? I think for me personally, it was, I missed the buggy. Uh, I graduated in 98 and few, like, you know, the first few years, everyone comes back. It's a lot of fun. By the time the BAA was forming, it was, you know, 10 years out for me and fewer and fewer, fewer and fewer people were showing up. This was a chance to really reconnect with people and keep everyone, I guess, involved in Buggy. It's hard to imagine, but there was a time when the university didn't think Buggy was really, was very adversarial towards uh, Buggy is the best way to put it. I don't think there had, they had really clued into the fact that, oh yeah, a lot of Buggy alumni have a lot of disposable income and are perfectly happy to give it to the university. There, there was also just a sense of, you know, once you graduated, that was kind of it, right? Like it was, it was uh, not a lot of, not only a support structure, but you know, you didn't have what you have now, which is like a lot of people having viewing parties across the country on a race day and, you know, have a real community throughout the year. So that was like, for me, a really big motivator to sort of build that community and just, you know, make sure that people stayed interested in Buggy. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. I don't know. I started my um, broadcasting in 2010, I believe. So I've never existed in a universe without it. But, you know, just kind of the speed with which even the website got up and going and things like the history and the gallery I know were really indispensable for to me on the other side of it, um, just in terms of the amount of knowledge you can get so quickly. I mean, you know, even on race days, that's um, a lot of what I rely on for the broadcast is coming from the BAA. But I, I am curious, you know, all those records and all the race information and buggy names and just kind of the encyclopedia with that, is that stuff you all went to Tom for, or what was it like even just collecting that much information? Did it exist in a centralized place before? Yeah, I mean, I think we treated it as we always wanted it to be, uh, you know, let us build it and they will come sort of problem. We knew that all of this knowledge is out there. And the challenge is each person holds a fragment. And if you have a question, it's impossible to know who sort of has, who holds the history or the story or even just the facts of, of that piece of buggy history. You know, I, I think we really dove in as a, from a, you know, uh, an engineering perspective, you know, what's the data model? How do we, you know, we, we want to represent every pusher and every team and every role, you know, we want to represent not just the times, but if, if someone rolls once and then uh, gets a re-roll and then rolls again on finals, like we want to have all of that, you know, captured in this uh, model of buggy. And we were real enthusiasts, you know, I had done my four years, and then I was already four years beyond that. So I was already eight years into fairly obsessive, you know, buggy study. 
I think our goal was not really to start by collecting everything because that's very daunting on a sport that was already, you know, 85 years old, but to set up the system where it could all be collected. Uh, and we certainly had, you know, from, you know, even just the buggy books, you have all the winning teams and times back. And, but then once, once the structure was there, it's really, you know, in this crowd of people who are interested, I really think we, we crowdsourced a lot of it. And so we said, who can name, you know, who can fill in this spot where we're missing the design comp winner from five years ago? Um, and it really was that recent. You know, there were holes. When you think about where would you look for any of this information if not on cmubuggy.org? Some of it is kind of in buggy books, and then that's it. And, and Tartan, um, right? And, and actually, the, the amazing work the AA team has done in compiling buggy history um, in blog posts this year has just blown my mind because I know how effortful it was to find, you know, what were the, the finish times or, you know, what, what was the name of the buggy for every team for every year? That stuff, you know, we, we added to very slowly over years and years. Um, and the amount of information they've collected uh, that Brian has collected this year uh, just blows me away because I think it's really unprecedented even beyond sort of the database approach that we took, how much has been collected for this Buggy 100 effort. Um, but yeah, it was really just a, let's set it up and just ask for everyone to fill in. We had a, we had a data collection form, I think you could fill out if you said, you know, if, if you said, I know what the name of this Buggy was in 1956, we would take your word for it and put that in the database. I, I do think it is, though, an interesting kind of uh, uh, testament kind of to the buggy community that, you know, the way the crowdsourcing work so effectively, especially, you know, there is this notion of secrecy, but it seems like everybody pretty quickly realizing this is a way to kind of preserve the larger culture got on board, right? Like even the fact, you know, Bordick was happy about the photos initially, um, I think it's kind of an interesting commentary of the gap this all filled. Was there any sort of pushback in some of this kind of history collection or was it kind of overwhelmingly positive? Everything we were collecting, you know, which was sort of the, the scope of pushers on hills with buggies and the year buggies were built and all of the different team race times and leaders of all the teams and of sweepstakes, right? Chair people, uh, push captains, buggy chairs, sweepstakes chairs, all of that. Everything was, that's all public, right? We weren't trying to sort of, we didn't even really get into when did each team, you know, move to a standard trike or reverse striker? We really weren't focusing on the part of buggy that people tend to be protective over. Um, and, you know, everything was fully, you know, public information at the time of the race. It's just all been lost to the sands of time. So, yeah, it was that whole effort was entirely warmly welcomed. Uh, and, you know, still, we still get emails uh, with people who have happened upon the history section of the site saying, I know who pushed Hill 4. You know, we're talking you know, 12 years later of filling in the holes in this database and it's still trickling in. So yeah, I think, I think people really enjoy the feeling of happening upon a gap in knowledge that they can fill and being the one to say, you know, I remember that I was there and now I'm going to add that to the official record. Uh, I think, I think most people really enjoy sort of that immortalizing experience, especially when it's themselves or someone they know, or, you know, Saying uh, my buddy from 50 years ago was buggy chair that year and putting that in there, uh, I think feels good to a lot of people's memories of that time. It was pretty special for all of us. Yeah, and to kind of build off of that, that that's not a, uh, it's not like we fully fleshed out that design space or whatever. Um, there's a lot of basic questions like who has pushed the fastest hill four in history, right? Like, well, you that's again, public information as far as the recordings that we could go back and try to take those splits. but. Um, you know, people would be really interested in that. We just don't, we just don't know, or at least I, I don't know. Um, so I, I think for a long time to come, we'll still be able to collect uh, and record stuff that uh, everyone will be excited to kind of like share stories and, uh, and add to the history. Some people are collecting that data on their own. And it, in my mind, that, that's what we're trending towards. You know, eventually we'll be able to, to get enough bits and pieces of things that have already been done. Um, and maybe we'll be able to someday in the future backfill to, you know, 2000 or 2005 or something like that of, uh, you know, every, the, the split times or, or what the fastest buggy in a certain section of the course is or that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's fascinating kind of the, the, the depth of data you could have and even attribute, I think, to the BAA, if nothing else. Congrats. I'm giving you credit. You know, just over the decade, I've been 
calling races, the amount of stuff in terms of split times that is available historically, at least up to a decade, kings and queens of hills and stuff like that is really made my job a lot easier being able to see all of that and whoever's keeping it, it is, you know, helpful and interesting. And and I really, I really liked your point there, Sam, just about, you know, people kind of coming out of the woodwork. I don't know if you have any really specific anecdotes of some kind of crazy outreach or fact you never thought you'd imagine getting that's, that's worthwhile sharing. Without prep. I mean, yeah, it would be, it would be fun to go page through the emails we've gotten over the years. I, I, you know, I think the, it's it's not a charming singular anecdote. I think what charms me about the whole phenomenon is just how specific it is that people will email in with something literally 30 or 40 years ago um, and say, on the first day we rolled this buggy, but then uh, the axle was bent. And so on the on the finals, uh, we had to roll this other buggy and this was the situation, you know, and that person has forgotten a lot of other things about their life in the last 40 years, a lot of details that they would have a hard time testifying clearly to. Why they ha- why they couldn't roll their preferred A-team buggy uh, for finals uh, is, is a story that they can come up with very clearly. And, and even to the extent where if we have it wrong, you know, they can confidently say, oh no, we didn't roll it the second day. Um, you know, yeah, I'm looking at this database and I'm telling you, I, I feel, I know that that's not correct and you should, you should update it. Uh, that always just seems very, you know, special and sort of like surprising to me, right? If, if you ask those same people what they did to earn a promotion that changed their career 20 years ago, they probably wouldn't be able to tell you with very much clarity. And that, I think that's the whole, that's what, this is, that's why all of this works, right? That's why we're all uh, bothering to uh, continue connecting with it. I, I also want to say like the notion that we could just accumulate all the splits, um, right? Like we could go back and watch all the videos and take all those splits. Uh, I think is a little bit of a current era perspective, uh, just on how high quality the production is. And like, will you know, you're saying you've never known another era, but you're also sort of like very much part of that era, right? The fact that there is competent uh, announcing that sort of like gives the race storyline and gives gives the gives the viewer something to like understand. Uh, is very definitional to the last 10 years of this um, and is not at all the experience before that. And I think it has made it into a sport that people can really like enjoy from further away and from, you know, further away in space and time. Um, It was, it was bad camcorders before that. Um, And I even did a year trying to announce uh, I did all of prelims, I think in 2009 or something. And I did it from the back of the lead truck on a wireless mic uh, and it was it was the hardest thing I've ever done, and it, I did a terrible job, and I never volunteered to do it again. Uh, so I think we shouldn't take for granted how much progress the whole experience has has made. Will no small part of that story. You're not just the host here, Will. Well, thank you. Um, you know, it's it's fun, and I've you know appreciate the community letting me take a couple years to get up to speed. Um, <laughs> but you know, the way it has evolved is is exciting, and you know that is not to talk about me um a lot of kind of what motivated me to want to do this series and even going you know back to some of your other points there it is amazing in the handful of these that i have done so far the detail you know i I talked with tom woods um who you know tom wood is maybe an exception but just remembering these crazy details from 40 years ago about buggy and stuff like that and the fact it's so pervasive throughout the community it's you know there's some really amazing stories within that um i think maybe switching gears a little bit kind of interested in that idea of the current era um you know michael ben when you guys were students and this was kind of coming up and as it became more of an informational hub do you think that had any effect on the way your orgs would actually operate during a buggy year or was that um did that have any impact sort of on just buggy business in general so i started uh on sdc as a mechanic in 2011 uh and one of my first jobs at rolls was being one of these people that stands in front of sam's camera right like uh sdc at the time you know the the before i had arrived in 2009 set a record in 2010 at this heartbreaking disqualification 
So the, the atmosphere when I started, though I didn't appreciate it at the time, was very tense. Uh, the team, um, hyper-competitive then, as far as I'm aware, still very competitive nature now. Um, and so that, that was my first introduction to CMU Buggy was like, okay, well, they're trying to, uh, you know, provide some coverage of the thing, but we have these engineering secrets, right? And so, and now I understand clearly there's a difference between uh, sending someone over to stand literally in front of someone taking the camera, but the intent is similar. Um, you can see, especially around that era, that uh, it's it's difficult to take pictures of SDC buckies on the underside, right? Uh, they're low to the ground. Uh, this is very interesting across like all the teams or how the buggies work. Um, you can get a lot of information by what they look like. Uh, and I think that's one of the real excitements of buggy is that you can engage with what's going on behind the scenes just from the pictures, really. Uh, and so it was in some sense, like pretty integral to my first exposure to buggy was like, all right, like there are people out there that are excited about this. They don't know, you know, what's going on on the inside. And, you know, we want to stay competitive. We want to, you know, not hide it from them in particular, but, uh, kind of like play along with the atmosphere of trying to develop our own like secret sauce or whatever, right. To, um, go as fast as possible. Um, then in 2012, 2013, I was head mechanic on SDC. Um, and rather than standing in front of buggies, you know, for pictures, now my engagement was more about, well, what are other pictures out there? Right. I became really interested in, uh, well, how did fringe win in 2011? Uh, and thanks to CMU buggy and the very interested community, right? There are tons of pictures of, of fringe buggies, of pika buggies, of, every team's buggies. Um, and again, just kind of like pouring through uh, those details, right? What are the shapes of the wheels uh, that different teams are using? And if you go through the comment sections on these pictures, uh, I, I would say that this is like a very popular thing to talk about. Uh, all that was like really uh, uh, interesting and exciting and, and uh, uh, fun to, to follow along with, I guess. Um, from an organizational level, right, uh, the attitude, at least in SEC, is is explicitly no, right? Like, we should do uh, whatever we think is best and kind of like uh, let the peanut gallery observe what they will. Uh, and <laughs> uh, yeah, right, like you're, you're on the ground doing it. And uh, also it is very entertaining sometimes as, as a current student to read the kind of strange like bizarre off-track inferences that people who are around the world make um and now as an alumni i get the enjoyment of you know like making those bizarre like nonsense inferences uh you know it's fun to speculate right uh and, and to just kind of like uh, take guesses at w what's going on in there and, and you'll never know as an alumni most likely um but it, it's it's very fun to to chat and to you know, compare notes with other people, I guess. So, um, right. So, so after I was head mechanic, you know, my last year I, I uh, stepped down and did regular mechanicing, mentoring, stuff like that. Um, and then I became an alum. And, and as you get older and your distance from the team and the, the community gets bigger and bigger, I think uh, I, I definitely echo the sentiment that everyone else is saying is that you miss it and uh you kind of uh uh realize that that that's all you have as far as buggy when you're not at race day is that community um and so you know i had heard that my friend jeremy was um on the the baa uh serving as the vice president um and i got asked uh if i would uh, uh accept a nomination and, and run an election and so forth and um yeah, yeah. So I, I guess I was drawn by a lot of the similar things that um, it's a it's a place to gather um, to to look at these pictures to help produce the content that brings together the people who uh, have a bit of that distance from the actual race themselves. Uh, yeah. So uh, really interesting. Um, it's uh, exciting to be here and great to talk about it. I think another thing more recently too, I'm interested in kind of in that vein is it does feel like BAA has 
had a greater role in helping sweepstakes out, helping RCTC and MUTV with the actual production on race day, you know, beyond just being an information repository. Um, Ben, you might be able to speak best to this, but sort of how did that sort of evolve and and what are some of the things that that kind of BAA is able to help with and contribute there? When the BAA started, there were no meetings. Um, Getting in touch, trying to get a, a hold of someone from RCT or from CMU TV was, you know, basically not impossible, but very difficult. It was just... Uh, not Casey. Oh, why am I blanking on her name? Um, if you had a question, you just basically called up Ann Wichner and she would find the answer for you. <laughs> that was pretty much the, the, the meet, quote unquote meetings. Um, so yeah, those were definitely a huge improvement start when those started. Um, and then, yeah, I, I feel like the, the other big thing that we really and the things we really focused on in terms of working with other organizations and being part of the actual like planning slash like operations of uh, race day was the, uh, the alumni luncheon and uh, ba- uh, no, Tom Wood's uh, history of buggy talks. I think those were the first real things we did like as an organization during race day. And then I think the next thing we did was uh, bringing in the timing system. I'm trying to remember the timing on this. The order on that's a little off, I think. I think we actually, well, no, I, I think actually what's hard to remember is that all of these things happened almost right at the beginning. So I was just going through the uh, race day previews and race day wrap ups uh, from 2009 and 10. So the, the jumbotrons were a BAA. Uh, idea and introduction in 2009, and then the photo timing system uh, was introduced in 2010. And one thing that I'm really proud of, of sort of what we spotted as an opportunity right there at the beginning is that, you know, we're just raising money, you know, 20 bucks, 100 bucks at a time from, you know, not the entire alumni population. When you think about who was really interested in this enough to give money, it was, you know, 100 or a couple hundred people maybe. And so we knew we weren't going to throw around tens of thousands of dollars in a sort of persistent way, but we could rally enthusiasm around ideas. Uh, And so we did that first with the Jumbotron uh, in 2009. Um, And so the strategy explicitly was if we can fund a Jumbotron, which we identified as sort of would change the race day experience, right? A lot of people probably don't remember what race day was before Jumbotrons. Uh, There was an RCT speaker set up down at the bottom of the hill and if you were standing in the chute, you could maybe hear or someone that was closer could hear and then they would tell you uh, what had happened at the end of the race. And so you had to choose either do you stand at the finish line and figure out who won the race or do you stand in the chute and see the exciting racing and then have to sort of have that climactic uh, finishing experience second or third or fourth hand uh, and find out what the, the end of the race was. So usually people would go down to the chute early and then migrate all to the finish line at the end of the race. Um, but it meant you never really had the whole experience. So we thought if we could do jumbotrons, how cool would that be? But that's pretty expensive. And so the plan was let's raise money to fund jumbotrons for one. Maybe we can keep it up for two years. And the great thing about college is two years is enough that half the people doing it think it's happened forever. And so if you can do something for a couple of years, uh, everyone assumes that that's how buggy has always been. And there's like a, a, a very easy to achieve status quo. Uh, and then eventually, uh, you sort of prove to the school and you prove to sweepstakes uh, how valuable this part of the experience is. And it's very hard to give up on something like that exists. Uh, and so then the BAA eventually funded less and less of the Jumbotron, and it became just sort of part of the race day experience. Uh, and that's exactly how we wanted to influence the growth of Buggy, right? You introduce something, you get attached to it. We're not going to bankroll it long term, but now it exists. And now Buggy as a sport is better and hopefully sort of a stable way. Same thing with the timing system the next year in 2010. Um, so we rented uh, the same timing technology that they were using in the Olympics, um, which was a big step up from the sort of we didn't control RF or magnet sensors or whatever they were um, in, that you had to duct tape into the nose of your buggy. And that, yeah, that became sort of the new standard for, for how it seemed reasonable that, of course, you'd have timing of that quality. 
so yeah, those are the early contributions that I think were were like pretty strategic in thinking how we can use you know a few thousand dollars to change what people expect out of this sport. Oh yeah, I forgot we only had one jumbotron the first time. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I can attest to the two years being forever thing. Uh, ben started two years before me, and he's been around forever. The jumbotrons have been around forever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I even think that. I, it even feels like jumbotrons have always been part of the experience to me, and uh, they were never part of my experience. But it, yeah, it, I came in fully after all of that. It is pretty insane to imagine it any other way. Yeah, it does make it from a broadcasting perspective one of the most interesting things I've ever announced. In that, normally, right, you're doing radio play-by-play, -play, or you're doing a TV broadcast or you're emceeing something live, and Buggy is all three, where you are playing to the race day crowd, but you know some people are tuned in on the radio and can't see everything, and some people are tuned in on CMU TV and can see it, so you kind of have to hit this weird middle ground to meet all three, uh, three demographics, or whatever you would call them there, which makes it a little bit funky to, uh, to announce versus some, some different other sports, but I think that's also part of what I really like about it. So I, I think, you know, kind of per that things on race day, interested maybe to talk a little bit about what we can expect with this year, year 100. If you guys have any exciting stuff in the works in terms of the presentation, you might want to talk about coming up for this year. Yeah. And this is a good time to chime in. If, you, if you're listening and you've helped support us in the past, I mean, uh, thank you so much. This is like, obviously not possible without all the people who, you know, have started uh, at the beginning to support those first few Jumbotron purchases to the nearly six figure budget we have for Buggy 100 this year. I mean, all that, you know, uh, uh, starts with the community. And it's just been amazing what we can do. Um, we had the crowdfunding campaign in the last month that uh, dozens of people pitched in, in. and uh, another ex exciting addition to the broadcast and experience that I'm looking forward to um, are some starting line displays. Uh, if you watch the broadcast, there's a like new trend or tradition that, that since the Jumbotron's been put on the top of the hill, there's a big following of, uh, of spectators that runs up the hill after the follow truck has passed um, to watch the race, you know, from the Jumbotron after having seen it at the starting line. Uh, and so, although that is an exciting part, uh, not everybody can run up the hill fast enough to, to catch the entire race. And, and hopefully uh, for both those students that are working uh, to make the race happen, uh, but also the spectators uh, at the bottom of the hill, they'll, they'll be able to enjoy more of that experience. And, and hopefully, this and, and many of the other things that Ben mentioned can become some of these items that, you know, once you have them, you realize that it really transforms the, the experience and that we'll be able to continue to offer those in future years, too. Yeah, and, and maybe we can get into this uh, in more depth later, but um, the BA is also helping sponsor some new startup teams that hopefully will be able to be a part of race day and obviously you know what better way to contribute to the experience than to to get more students involved and more buggies around the course um hopefully that also becomes a big recurring thing that we can support both with the endowed fund and also continuing in this like uh startup mentorship yeah program. actually if you want to jump into that now i think it might be a great topic to get into yeah so uh i uh Coming from SDC, I didn't lean on the BAA for this, but uh, Apex and certainly these teams that have directly, um, you know, received the the sponsorship or, or a gift um, that we were able to put up uh, have been affected. And I think that that's a clear, you know, path for the BAA to continue to get involved uh, Maybe Ben can tell more of the story being closer to Apex. Clearly, the, the BAA also, you know, in its role is in maintaining the sport and keeping it healthy, um, can really help out new teams, uh, both obviously as a vast repository of knowledge. I mean, we're brought together by the discussion of the history and stuff like that. And also, you know, and the financial support. But 
even in just like the excitement and the community of, of having people to talk to and, and just someone who's like reading the roles report every week for you, right? I, I'm mentoring a team and I'm always looking out for um, DG and the role, roles report, uh, uh, excited to see them getting around the course and, and hopefully that, you know, uh, uh, bringing, bringing the new teams into the community properly uh, also I, I think is an important part of uh, uh, building that that presence, building that that kind of community feel. I think that's so exciting. I we talked about that from the beginning, and it really took, you know, the idea that one of the goals should be having more of the student body participate. And it just seemed, other than sort of making it feel more exciting, it seemed so daunting to actually be able to commit, you know, funds or time, you know, to a scale that would really be impactful to a new team getting off the ground because that is such a big. You know, that first year is a lot to pull off. Um, and it's, it's so exciting to me that that's something the BAA has accomplished, uh, getting teams, you know, viably to race day. I think that's a, a huge contribution. And even it's, you know, it's always happened informally. You know, I think there are tons of tales of, you know, spirit, the spirit alumni from the 80s were a huge help to fringe getting back on their feet in the 90s. You know, I think that kind of relationship has always existed. But for a new student org to say we're interested and be able to like know where to look to to ask for a relationship like that, uh, I think is just going to be hugely impactful. Hopefully, not sort of just as a buggy one hundred thing, but you know, you know, the world of student orgs is changing all the time. So if we can if we can keep that a viable option and, and lower the barrier to entry, uh, it's just super exciting to me. I'm really glad that's happening. So as Sam mentioned, uh, friend, or Spirit, more specifically, uh, Carl, a uh, Spirit alum who was on Dean's vacation uh, and was not allowed to help uh, Spirit, I think, was the main, uh, he's the main reason, he's the main, he was the main help for Fringe. He also helped CIA enormously, uh, both with the resurrection, he was, he was a huge help in addition to Fringe. and. When it came time for CIA to build their first carbon composite, or their first in a very long time, uh, I believe he was instrumental in helping with that also. He helped out with uh, Renaissance enorm enormously because he actually lived in Seattle at the time and reached out to the uh, reached out to the Spirit Kids, and the Spirit Kids basically shut the door in his face. So he said, "Fine, I'll go talk to CIA. I like those guys." Hence, uh, CIA's meteoric rise began. <laughs> Um, nice. But, but yeah, I mean, I think Sam is, I mean, very right in that there, it's interesting while I've been talking, I'm very much agreeing with Sam in that like there have been a lot of sort of informal uh, things that have happened. CIA's resurrection happened because actually initially CIA was teamed up with AEPI. We were going to be a joint team. Uh, and then that fell apart and CIA made it to the finish, made it to race day and AEPI didn't. Um, but like fringe or fringe helping CIA out to get resurrected, uh, spirit helping fringe out. Uh, I know that there was uh, a lot of help with fringe. I think fringe with Apex. Um, but I'm just wondering. Yeah, I'm wondering how much. Like one of the things I've noticed over the years is t teams still have their secrets, but they're nowhere near as secretive as they used to be. Right. Like the idea of Pika like standing in front of people with cameras these days is kind of laughable, right? Like, and for example, CIA used to stage in uh, GSIA before they added the addition, and they used to every every morning of rolls put newspaper over every window. Once again, that kind of thing is kind of like ha ha now. I mean, who's going to do that? I'm wondering how much the BA had a hand in that, like having this not just repository of information, but this community. And these, you know, weekly roles reports where you really are showing people, hey, this is what the sport's all about. You know, here's, you know, an inside look. It's not really this mysterious group of smelly people at two in the morning, you know, doing weird stuff. It's, hey, look, here's some nice pictures. And, you know, that that kind of effect. I'm, I'm wondering how much of an effect that had on the student organizations. I'm wondering if, like, I'm guessing Sam and Ben, you guys probably have a better idea. Well, I was going to say, I think that... Uh... I actually didn't know my counterparts that well in other orgs as a student. Right? I, I was, you know, as head mechanic, I knew, I, could, I recognized the head mechanics and, and, you know, chairman of the other orgs. 
I didn't really know them, and I don't know if I knew that many of their names, you know, beyond who had to come to chairman's meetings. And I think, you know, the internet <laughs> for all of maybe this is like a CMU social skills storyline, um, but having a forum where people show up or, you know, a comment section on pictures, you just start to recognize all of the people who are in this conversation. Um, and I think that would have, you know, personalized uh, my peers at the time uh, and made it more obvious who the, who the people are that I'm pretending to keep, you know, not pretending, who, the, who are the people that I'm keeping all these secrets from? Um, and it turns out they're actually not that, not that strange and foreign. Yeah, we used to go to hilarious things. I, you know, it is still kind of part of the fun of it. You know, keeping secrets is fun and it makes, you know, we used to not let the safety chair come all the way into our room, right? We made them do safeties uh, out on the, you know, out in the booth section, just as a demonstration that there was like an inner sanctum that even they would never know. Uh, and, you know, now the fringe mechanics post like live videos to Instagram from inside the room with everything and everything else in the background and the alumni are going really that doesn't bother you you know there's look you can see the wheel machine right there you know and uh yeah it's a different attitude i don't know i i think it might also just be different attitudes about media and privacy um but well let's say the baa caused the change both in buggy and in the world <laughs> <laughs> at first you know uh, jeremy and julian as a chair chairman chair peoples uh that they you know kind of had the job description of well okay you're going to reach out to other teams and uh you can kind of handle that for everybody and and everybody else's job is to like sit tight and, and to do the the internal thing um but it's become clear you know as buggy has evolved since then that there's a lot to be gained you know both in the extensive discussion we had about getting teams off the ground and, and finding that support for your first build but also, you know, to like get the chores done and to uh, make sure that the space in the bottom of Stever is clean and that it has good ventilation and that the safety rules are good and that, you know, everybody makes sure that the fire marshal isn't going to be angry, you know, like that race day is going to happen, what, that rolls are going to happen. All that stuff takes coordination um, and uh, the, the sport has definitely benefited from um, teams working together more and uh, you know even in my time I, I knew the names of every other head mechanic and um, was friends at least to the you know to have their contact info or whatever for several of them um, because it's important you know to, to get stuff done um, efficiently if you can if you can uh, bother other people that are that might have the same interests as you it's awesome and interesting to see, you know, chicken and egg and otherwise just always cool to kind of see how these things shift. Um, I, I think we've we've gone over a lot of what I wanted to talk about just in terms of <clears throat> BAA, you know, impact, how it got started, you know, kind of what's to come. I am interested in all of these just to ask some more kind of personal questions. I'm just always interested to see what people have to say sort of about, you know, how you see Buggy has impacted your life um, and kind of reflecting on that, you know, what has being in this community kind of meant to you, uh, whether it be in the context of Buggy or anything else. I can tell you it has had a huge impact on my life, uh, both professionally and personally. Uh, from a professional point of view, I mean, the skills I learned, I was, <laughs> I was only in buggy for two years, uh, my freshman year and my senior year. And my freshman year, uh, I basically watched CIA die. And in my senior year, I resurrected it. And uh, in those two years, I learned basically how to organize and motivate a group of people towards a common goal with nothing more than the promise of free orange juice and bagels. And I got those people to wake up at like, you know, five in the morning and we didn't have a large crew. It was, I think the entire organization was eight people and one of them was the driver. Uh, so it, it was a, a lot of people doing a lot of, everyone had to do a lot of and work. And then at the end, you ask everybody to pitch in for the bagels, right? Oh no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, the booze everyone had to pitch in for, but 
that's, that's another funny story, which is first three years at CMU, didn't drink a drop of alcohol, was actively not interested in drinking. And then <laughs> I got pretty much drunk the entire summer after my junior year. And then I decided <laughs> buggy was a good idea and everything kind of like, honestly, I don't even know how the idea to resurrect CIA came to me. It just, I sort of sobered up at the end of the summer and I was in the process of doing it. So it seemed like a good idea. Learning those skills of like organizational skills and like how to motivate people and really like how to understand how, how to reach people so you can get them to do what you want and at the same time, get them what they want. I mean, I think I use those skills almost every day at work, but also like the one thing that um, I'm forgetting the name of this spirit alum, uh, the guy, give, he, he gives the talk on research and development and how buggy is basic. Yes, Matt Wagner. Like that's exactly what it is. Like, you know, learning that process of planning, um, of trying to experiment to, you know, once again, setting goals and trying to reach them and trying new and exciting ways to reach those goals. Is another skill which professionally I've used many, many, many times. But also, like, just on uh, a personal level, like the friends I made at Buggy, I'm still friends with today. Still keep in touch with, still send random pictures of, you know, things that are just inside jokes that are at this point 20 plus years old. But yeah, it has had a huge impact on my life. Uh, the, the BAA has really, it seems like, like, like Sam said, we have been talking about since day one, working on getting new teams, like encouraging and supporting new teams. And the fact that we can now do that is really, I think, a really huge deal. It really means that, that the sport will live on. Because I know there, over the past 20-something years, there have been a lot of, I don't want to say scary points, but points where there have been a significant dip in participation. And knowing that like we got an organization that's, outside of that two-year, three-year black hole that Sam described, um, or memory hole, um, it, it really encourages and makes me think, you know, th th there's hope. Yeah, I was thinking the, the lesson I learned from Buggy, or maybe the, the lesson I began to learn from Buggy that took me a while to learn uh, and, and act accordingly is that if there's a thing that you are really passionate about working on, it will win uh, in a competition for your time over other things. Uh, and you can try to just, you know, uh, be diligent and still do your schoolwork and it will lose. Uh, and so the secret to being successful in life is to make sure that the thing that you're passionate about is the thing that you're supposed to be doing. Um, right. I, I spent too much time on buggy as an undergrad and failed things. And I spent too much time on buggy as a PhD student and, you know, there's more flexibility there. So it worked out fine. Um, and that, you know, that's a theme of the thing that I was just really wanted to be working on. I could, you know, do cool things in and, you know, build great buggies and build a BAA website and, uh, the important thing to like health and happiness is that the thing that you're pouring that energy into uh, be the thing, not that you're squeezing it on the side, uh, but that is what you're supposed to be spending your days on. And if, if you can achieve that, I guess it's the do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life uh, lesson. But I really learned it from buggy because I couldn't not do it. Uh, and so I felt both the, the pain and satisfaction of, choosing it over and over again, even though there were other things that were supposed to be on my list. You know, from that experience and from talking to those, those people who were also so passionate um, and interested in, in what we were doing and just fascinated by the sport in general, um, you know, making that my sort of jumping off point into um, working on all the things that I've done since then, um, you know, just my interest in product development in general, uh, which is, immensely close to how it works when you're designing a buggy and building a buggy and trying to get people excited about building a buggy um, or just, you know, running events and being excited about doing that um, kind of stuff. And I mean, the the experience that I've had running the BA in particular has given me so much insight into, you know, why all these other things are important, like marketing, like communications, you know, uh, like graphics, like all these things that 
you might look at as an engineer and see is like, ah, that's just extra pieces, you know, I could do that and sort of thing. I was like, no, no, you can't. <laughs> um, it, it takes a lot of, of, of real effort and real, um, uh, you know, dedication to, to do it well and to do it right. Um, you know, it's, that's, I, I started my first company um, right after I, I left Four Moms, and uh, that was a wake-up call into itself, but I was able to tie back a lot of my experiences there to what I, you know, learned in Buggy um, sort of thing. So it's like the, like, like Aton was saying, the, you know, the Matt Wagner's presentation, everything I learned, I learned from Buggy. Um, this is shockingly true um, looking back and comparing a lot of the things that I do now to um, what I um, did as a student uh, without realizing it in some cases and in most cases really. Um, and uh, it's, it's made me want to, you know, be involved and give back and, and do mo so much more stuff, um, you know, with buggy and trying to help it grow and be more, um, my, I think my personal reflection may not be as, uh, as, as wise. Um, I'm only, uh, six years out. Uh, I'm a grad student. I've been in grad school the whole time since I left. Um, and I, I study science. I'm a, I'm a physicist. Um, and when I reflect, I, I think about, uh, honestly, like the, the very tough parts about buggy, like buggy is very fun. I had a, a wonderful time. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but when I think about, the parts that I think changed me in a way that prepared me for the future. Um, I think about the times when I uh, broke something that somebody else on my team had built that had spent many, many hours, you know, uh, uh, of their life, like making this thing. And then like, I, I messed up uh, and having to like go to them and be like, you know, I know I'm the head mechanic and I know that, you did this because you like wanted to contribute or whatever. Um, but I screwed up and I broke that and, uh, we, we don't have it anymore. You know, we either have to make it again. Uh, and there's, you know, either not a time or whatever, like there's real world constraints on that. Uh, and like accepting responsibility for that or, uh, coming back after a difficult day of roles, you know, um, or even race day, uh, there were times where I said, you know, yeah, uh, that part broke, you know, and you look back in the logs and you go, oh, I made that part like shit, you know, uh, those are some of the hardest things I've ever had to like come to terms <laughs> with. Right. That like, uh, I, I like, I can't take those back, you know, and I have to like accept that. Um, and, and it's, it, it's true that like buggy is for fun. Right. But at the end of the day, like, you're making parts that people depend on to get around the course safely. Um, and everybody else is there to support you and make sure that, um, you know, you're following the rules or whatever. Uh, those are important. Um, but there's also a sense of like responsibility and uh, uh, real teamwork, right? Not just like teamwork that, well, you know, you pitch in when you can, it's fine. Uh, and if you don't show up, like who cares or whatever, right? No, like, uh, people put in a lot of time to make it happen and they're counting on you and you're counting on other people and you can't do it alone. Um, but in the same vein, like, uh, you know, the other people on your team need you to, to do your part too. Um, and having those experiences, you know, to sit back on as a grad student, like when my experiment messes up, right. Oh, like I spent a month doing that and it's, it's all wrong. I have to do it over again. I have to repeat a month of work and that's hard. But when I think about, you know, what I did in Buggy, I go, well, at least it wasn't a year's worth of work or, you know, at least I didn't have to explain to someone else, you know, that like, that's why they lost the race or something like that. Right. Uh, it's, it's just me. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I have a lot of like the same, like positive, uh, uh, happy thoughts that the other people do. But when I think about, you know, the, the trying to finish up my grad school, I, I guess that's where I'm at now, where look, there's like a lot of responsibility and hard stuff that you can learn from Buggy too. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you all joining in here. I think we covered a lot of pretty interesting stuff here. Um, just want to see, is there anything else um, <laughs> you'd like to have on the record I didn't get to? Uh, before we go ahead and close this out. Um, I was kind of curious. So 
we got a lot of how Sam got involved with the BA. I, Aton, did you talk about how you actually got involved with the, the BA specifically? Uh, everyone I knew was doing it, so <laughs> I just joined in. <laughs> All the cool kids I, I would, doing it. I think my memory of like the initial very thing I think is basically what Sam said, which is like I think it was like the group of us. So like me, Sam, Carson, Tom Wood, I think Danny, I think Abby was there or if she wasn't she was involved and a group of us just got together and said hey this seems like a really good idea let's just do it and um yeah that's pretty much uh just like buggy seemed like a good idea at the time so i just did it (laughs) yeah i want to say um chris was talking about abby planting the seed of the idea more or less um um, for it so maybe not as a as uh, upfront and involved, but definitely being the inception, or at least helping with the inception. Yeah, the main thing I think that the, the point at which I got really motivated and involved was uh, in 2009, uh, the last year. I believe 2009 was the last year we did the old timing system, and I had I ended up getting drafted to assist the guy who ran it because I guess his helper didn't make it or something like that, um, and. The way the system worked was you brought the actual timing box down to the starting line. The guy had a starting gun. When he shot the gun, he pushed the button. You then had to bring the box up to and the, and the box had to be plugged into something at the at the base of the at the start of the course. Then had to drag that box up to the top of the course where it had to be plugged into the timing the rest of the timing system before any buggies crossed the finish line. And then once it was done, he had to take the box and bring it into his ambulance because for some reason he had an ambulance. Uh, that's where he like, had all the equipment. And he went in there and did little magic things and uh, basically never got it done before the start of the next heat. So every heat was being delayed a little bit. <laughs> so this went on all day. It was quite annoying. And at the end of it, uh, I announced to everyone that uh, I think we're going to get a new timing system next year. Luckily, <laughs> 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 we had already been talking about it, and and it was the the wheels were in motion. But I just made sure there was a lot of grease on the wheels after that. Awesome, yeah. I remember working with you on the when we had to update the auction stuff uh, a lot. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, it was all manually done. You had a, a lot of back end stuff for that one. Um, now we now we use an off the shelf piece just to make everybody's lives yes. easier since we're not all programmers. <laughs> yeah, uh, to to touch on another point, um, talking about the future, I guess uh, I'm really excited. Uh, CMU staff, especially this year, has just poured a ton of effort in. Um, I think it would be uh, uh, a mistake not to mention how much that they're contributing to Buggy 100. Um, I, I couldn't have imagined so much support, um, both you know professional and, and making things like the display and the UC that's going to go up, um, you know, working on the crowdfunding, helping Brian in both the research and in making their own articles. I mean, you could go on forever how CMU's involved, but um, really coming out of... Uh, what used to be like what uh, uh, was talked about before was somewhat of an adversarial relationship now um, really feels like we're turning a new page into something that uh, CMU really is looking to leverage buggy as a way to attract students uh, and to get people involved in a you know extracurricular activity with some kind of a goal uh, I, I'm I, that's really blown me away uh, I uh, it's hard to imagine, you know, what we might be able to do with that. Um, the the potential seems so high. Um, so, uh, of course, you know, in the specific, we're looking to continue all the stuff with Buggy 100 um, and keep getting new teams in on the ground floor and supporting them, uh, maintaining that community where it all started, uh, but also to to push things to a new level at CMU uh, with the support that they've been giving us is something I'm really looking forward to in the future. So there you are. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I found it really interesting hearing where the whole BAA started and where it is going. Want to give a big thanks again to all the guests 
Sam, Aton, Mike, and Ben. Uh, terribly sorry again about the loss of a lot of Ben's audio there, uh, but we did what we could. Um, Appreciate you sticking back with us. I know we had a few week hiatus there. Uh, Some really cool episodes on the horizon in a couple weeks. Uh, Sit down and talk with the guys from the Spirit Dynasty. uh, Those years there in the 80s. And then additionally, one coming up with SDC. uh, And then a couple generations of Buggy Family. So plenty more shoot the shit still to come. Um, If you did like this episode, hate it, want to give feedback, want to get on other episodes, you can definitely do so. So hop into the CMU Buggy Alumni Discord. That is cmubuggy.org slash chat. Uh, Go to the podcast channel and, uh, you know, let us know some feedback. We love to hear it. I want to give a big thank you to everybody who made this possible. Uh, The current Buggy Alumni Association, uh, specifically Rachel Schmidt, uh, done a lot of the legwork to get this going. Uh, the intro music is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes from the Free Music Archive. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll hear you next time on Shoot the Shit. <laughs>